Welcome to the Novel Discourse Podcast, where we discuss great stories and how they're told. I'm Sam, and I'm here with a really interesting episode today. We've got an interview from Alexandra Trienska. She is a professor of neo-Victorian literature. So we're going to talk a little bit about her career as a professor, but we're also going to talk about her recently published novel. She's a children's novelist. Her recent book, Bunky and the Walms, is out right now. So we're going to talk about not only her experience writing children's books, but also how that relates to her experience as an English professor. We're going to get into some of those different genres and how they relate and what are some of the themes and styles used in those genres and how her teaching at a university and her studies related to her writing career. And we're also just going to talk about life in general, what it's like living in Europe and um, what inspires us to write the stories that we write. It's a really interesting conversation. So without further ado, here's Alexandra. I'm going to mispronounce so many things. So first of all, tell me the name of your university, because I think that's really fascinating. You're teaching Neo-Victorian. Is it is it Neo-Victorian English specifically, or is it is it just like the time era of all literature? Like, walk me through through all of that. My university is Maria Kiriskunowska University in, in uh, Poland, and uh, Neo-Victorian uh, literature is something I specialize in. It's like the research. My PhD thesis was connected with Neo-Victorian literature, especially the female characters uh, interest me a lot. But uh, in my daily life, I, I, I teach literature, especially the 17th and 18th century uh, literature, and also some other classes such as academic writing, uh, practical English classes. So uh, it's quite uh, diverse, but literature is something I love uh, the most. <laughs> yeah. So I, I've tried to learn other languages. Um, that side of my brain is just for whatever reason, is just not <laughs> developed or whatever. I've tried to learn French. I've tried to learn Spanish. Uh, I spent a few years studying both and it's, it's not been very good. And those languages are very close to English. Uh, they're both like romantic languages, but Polish is, is that your, that's your native language, correct? Yes. Yes. Yes, it is. And that's, I think it's a Slavic language, right? Yes. Yes, it is a Slavic language. Do you know any other languages? Because I know it's really common over there for people to know, like, obviously multiple languages. You know, languages and, and words in general, learning about words uh, was always uh, my passion. And I, I love languages, so uh, I've been studying uh, in the past. At my school, I had a little bit of Russian, but then I had a chance at the university to pick up some Greek. And uh, I had a chance to study Greek, too. I would love to continue uh, studying uh, the Greek language. It's, it's fascinating. But I also love English and words yeah. in general. <laughs> I feel like it was probably really challenging. And maybe I'm just putting myself in your shoes because it's hard. Like I said, it's hard for me to learn languages. But not only do you did you learn English as a second language, which is not an easy language to learn, but you are <laughs> studying it and teaching a very challenging level of English like most most native English speakers can't really study Victorian English so what was that journey like for you not only learning English but like when did you learn English and then when did you decide you were going to get into just such a difficult uh, version of English and studying all of that. It all started because I loved reading. And then I discovered that I love uh, reading in English. It was difficult for me because uh, I wasn't that fluent. I was a child. And then my parents uh, helped me a lot. Uh, I could attend some English schools. And then I had some uh, English friends. And then I, I started reading a lot uh, in English too. And I thought that it's my dream to, you know, go to university, study English, uh, the English language, uh, read more. And I had wonderful teachers who really 
encouraged me to read a lot. We've been reading quite a lot uh, in terms of uh, British literature, American literature, and I just couldn't stop, you know. So, so this is how it started. I then I thought, why not to to write my PhD thesis and and continue this journey. I just fell in love with the female characters from the uh, Victorian times. And first of all, I love the language in the Victorian uh, fiction. It's so elegant, and the whole storyline usually is so uh, elegant and peaceful. No matter what is happening in the story, you feel this elegance, and it really resonated within me. And I thought that uh, the literary female characters uh, are so beautiful, fascinating, and complex at the same time. Which which of those characters do you think? resonates with you the most like what were some of growing up in in kind of in your adolescence what were some of those books that really spoke to you that you kind of carried with you on into your writing career i'm writing so far i'm writing for uh, children but when it comes to my uh like university life uh i was i was fascinated by the female characters in anthony trollope's uh, fiction and wilkie collins's uh, novels these female characters are so complex and it is hard to believe that these novels are written by male authors i mean the descriptions of this feminine complexity is so profound it's really it was striking and yeah. i just adore uh, this complexity and then uh, when it comes to the literature uh, dedicated uh, to children i loved uh, uh, the chronicles uh, of narnia this was like the first book that really resonated within me my mom used to read uh, this book to me then we've been reading it together and i thought like what a wonderful, versatile world of characters, uh, different uh, uh, stories all together. And I would love to be there. I would, be the, I would love to be a part of it. So this is how I thought, why not to create my own literary world and why not to share it with other uh, readers who might also find it interesting, inviting. Man, you, you brought up the authors, the male authors who tr who mm. write about not only have women characters, but have complex women characters. I think that's something that authors in general really fumble is whether it's a female author writing a male character mm. or, or vice versa is they not only, and myself included, struggle to try to relate to people that are different to them. And it, it doesn't even have to be gender. It could be like yeah. nationality or like yes. background, right? And you know it when you see it, and it's it can be really painful. And you're right; these yes. authors, particularly in that genre, really did take a very nuanced approach to that writing. And you can really tell that they did their research, which I feel like is kind of lost mm -hmm. in the modern era, don't you think? Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, I agree with you. I agree fully. And also, what's interesting with such uh, authors like Trollope, he had like three very important women in his life who definitely influenced his writing, his mother, his wife, and then this fascinating American lady who completely, I mean, not completely, but greatly influenced his ideas about what a female figure is in, in, in the real life, in the literary life. So it, it is absolutely fascinating. And yeah. And the other weird thing about that is they, they, they had to have those influences in their life because they didn't have like the internet or easy to pull articles about you know mm. how to write a character mm. of this type that you can just google right that they, they had yeah. to either read other works and learn from that or they had to directly walk up to women and be like hey i'm i'm writing this could you help me with it or draw directly mm. from those experiences i can't imagine like 
the amount of challenges of doing that um, is is pretty crazy. But going back to your your time at your university, how how long have you have you been there? Because um, I know, like, I'm super interested in this because I know as an author and other writers, like, we love even if we're even if we're not publishing novels, the idea of working in the creative space and being able to work closely to like storytelling is is really cool. That's why I started this podcast. So, um, how long have you been? teaching there and is it just not the most gratifying job in the world <laughs> you know to me it's the best job in the world it's not even a job it's i mean it's very difficult it is but it's it's so it gives me so much joy especially because of my students these days because i have i am so lucky all of my students are wonderful i don't know just i'm surrounded by wonderful people and this is so gratifying they are really curious and they are really kind and amazing and you know, so engaged so in, in all the topics. So even if I'm dying from the amount of work, I really don't care because uh, I know that they will be there. And what, uh, so so first of all, I, I when I went to the university uh, in Lublin, I thought that I would like to do my, uh, so, so, so program, the whole program studies. And then I thought about the PhD. So I started working as a teacher uh, during my PhD, we had to, work with students so these were my first uh, uh, real encounters with the world of teachers <laughs> and uh, now it's my second year uh, at the university uh, during which i am working beyond my phd uh, so so just just my normal <laughs> work but still i do a lot of researching I, I i continue my research and i think about uh, professorship you know of course i try to concentrate on my students quite a lot these days because you know when you are i don't know i think that at every stage you need to be very careful uh with your research you have to put a lot of heart in and and you have to be very hard working but uh i think that i need to prepare especially well because it's my you know i just started this this journey so i don't want to disappoint them mm -hmm. i don't want to disappoint myself and uh, but i think that at every stage you have to put a lot of work into it <laughs> so where do you find the time to write then like what is your what does your schedule look like when in terms of like getting getting around to writing honestly i have no idea when i'm finding you know it's like 24 hours within a day it's it's not enough definitely so uh, I write a lot uh, during the summer, and also uh, I write uh, in the evenings, especially in the evenings. And uh, well, you know, m my schedule is really insane sometimes. Sometimes I don't even go to sleep, <laughs> but I try to do it in the evenings uh, when I have some free time away from uh, the university. And yeah, during the summer times. But for example, Banky and the Wolves, uh, I used to write. Uh, almost uh, every day you know, just, just trying to figure out this special time to sit down and write because it also depends on what is going on in your head if you had ideas uh, which are constantly you know telling you to sit down and write it down immediately then i think that's very important and if you don't feel that uh, you are at the stage that something is ready. I don't think anybody should be pushed to sit down and create something, you know, in terms of novels, in terms of research. I think that the time is important, you know. If you feel that the time That's is right, you have the idea. If you don't feel, you know, that way, it will come. <laughs> 
Yeah, so you said you write in you 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 write a lot in December. I'm guessing that's when you have a little bit of time off, maybe from university. Did you write? I mean, I know that your this novel, Bunky in the Walms, is is a Christmas story, right? Yes. Were you inspired by the time of year in which you were writing? Was that a huge like? reason that you wrote a christmas story you know i love christmas personally i love christmas it's it's very important to me it's such a meaningful time because i just i have so many great memories and this is what i wanted to share with my readers so i started actually i started writing a bunky and the wounds uh, somewhere around uh, uh, november in 2019 and i was already you know, this Christmas spirit was all around me. And uh, after that, some difficult times came. We know all, we all know what times, <laughs> what happened later in 2020. Oh, yeah. Uh, in 2020. Yeah. So I thought... Like three it's, months it's, later, yeah, the world just came crashing yeah, down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I thought it's time to move to a different world because I will go insane here. And I just completely dedicated myself to writing. I had a lot of online classes back then, so it was easier to write at home. And I wanted to create some safe space, something inviting, something hopeful, something that I really felt inside, you know, something, because Christmas is so important to me. I think that Christmas is this time, at least it should be this time, when people really, you know, find some magic in their lives. and. By this, I mean, you know, they, they notice one another. They notice that there is something beyond this everyday life and that this everyday life can be absolutely fascinating because my character, you know, he discovers that everyday life can be magical. And this is what we needed the most, I think, especially last year. Yeah, you've got a ton of... Well, I've noticed this both on online and, and here mm -hmm. on the screen that you've got all sorts of bunky memorabilia um, and dolls. <laughs> did you make those? Like, did you find those somewhere and like buy them <laughs> outside of the bunky world and you're like, this is going to be bunky? Or did you make those? And Thank like, you so did much. you like create maybe their costumes or anything? I created them. I made them from this the scratch i just you know they they came to life in august actually when i when i was just just correcting my novel and uh, in the meantime i thought that you know i really like to bring my story into life and writing it wasn't enough for me so i just sat down and i you know i took a thread and a needle i bought some materials i went shopping and here they are yeah so i made them <laughs> and they clothes too and after that we had they this idea great. to yeah, to, to design the you know, Banky and the Banky Friends. There are some other characters, but I still, I, uh, they are not ready yet. <laughs> I love how much you love your story because Thank you. myself included, like I think people have written novels and or stories and they just like want to get them out. Like I've, I've seen a lot of indie authors. There's nothing wrong mm. with this, but I've seen indie authors will like publish one book every six months and then they move on to the next one just so that they mm. can say they've written 30 books. But mm. you are yeah. taking a super intentional approach. Like you've been working on this story and these characters for uh, what three, going on four years soon. So like mm. that's pretty. That's pretty incredible. Thank you so much. You know, this idea was growing within me, and as I said, I think that I, I never push myself to write, and I don't think anyone should. Like, I mean, there are people who have 
incredible amount of you know imagination and and writing skills and they have an idea all the time and i, I understand that but you know i think that uh, it's the same with research like if you don't feel it fully in your heart you shouldn't do that yeah you shouldn't do that just to write something it really has to be here inside of you and you then the readers will feel on reading uh, your story that everything is intentional that this story is absolutely you know, written from the heart. So for, for those who don't know, I, I, I've read your, your story um, about how Bunky was was created, but I do think this is a really cool story. Go, go ahead and tell us a little bit about that, that story. Thank you so much. So this story, it started in 2019 in good times, yeah, in normal times. So, uh, Chris and I, we've been traveling for a conference and, and there we had like a set of wonderful adventures. And one of these, we visited uh, a, a museum and in the museum nearby, nearby the museum, there was a, a shop with toys and there was this blue hippo. And I just looked at its face. It was a stuffed toy and stuffed animal. And the face of this hippo was absolutely brilliant because he wasn't happy. He was sort of happy and happy somewhere in between. You know, he had this ambiguous kind of look on, on, on his face. And I thought that this is beautiful that uh, this toy is not idealized, that there may be a, an interesting story hiding behind uh, this toy, this mascot. So, of course, uh, we bought the hippo. And this was the initial idea from which Banky was born and and then we took a walk uh, around some parts of London we wanted to discover this old uh, London and uh, you know the type of the city about which we've been reading before we've been reading before the trip and we discovered this very beautiful street uh, the Walm Lane and we started wondering what's the what's the history of, of its name and we just came up with a story about the the family of Walms and about Banky, <laughs> and and then it all just started. Uh, I I just couldn't stop thinking. I mean, when I have this type of like thinking, if I if I you know if I see something interesting, I just I will just keep thinking about it, and the ideas will will come to me on on their own. <laughs> you know, ideas, dialogues, uh, the storyline. So. Uh, I thought, why? I have to write it down because this is how I feel <laughs> about our adventure and and uh, the hippo <laughs> and one name. Yes. Right. So this is how it happened. This is probably impossible to answer, um, but you you have this background in Victorian English literature, right? And then you mm -hmm. write a children's novel that is that is very i don't i mean i assume this this world kind of takes place it's a fictional world right it, yes. and it and it yes. takes place in a world that is very similar to england correct it does it does and so <laughs> were you do you think that your inspiration for writing a story in england came from your background in victorian english or do you think it truly would have happened regardless because of the trip you took Yes, I definitely think that my background helped me a lot to to write this in writing this story because uh, I really like words and Victorian uh, literature is filled with so much elegance and uh, the the words the choice of words it's very uh, it's detailed it's very careful it's beautiful it's something we don't do that often nowadays I am just uh, in love with the way in which the writers would be so careful and selective about the words and 
while writing Bunky and the Worms, of course, I know that I cannot achieve absolutely anything like that, but I was trying my best to play with words, to, you know, introduce some some uh, uh, elegant <laughs> dialogues, some witty images, of course. Right. I know that the level is different, yeah. Victorian fiction is absolutely brilliant, but this idea is always there in my mind, you know, to play with language and to... I know I'm not a native speaker, so it's very difficult for me, and I know that I might be making mistakes, but I really, I just respect Victorian uh, writers a lot for this elegance of expression, and I was trying to achieve a similar effect. <laughs> I think you pulled it off. I, I read it, and your dialogue in particular, there's a sort of whimsical nature to the way that people Thank talk you. to each other, um, not only in the word choice, but in the, the, the dialogue tags, as well as like frequent use of like exclamation point like i i mean this book is nothing like you know I, i'm going to go to the harry potter example because that is a um that's like a very relevant example right it takes place in modern day ish england <laughs> but it's a fictional world i almost when, when you read harry potter the first line comes to mind the the dursleys were a very a perfectly normal family thank you very much you can almost hear the english accent in that right it's a yes. very particular yeah. thing that only an English speaker in England might say. And I kind of yes. got that from your writing. So I think you did wow. do a fantastic <laughs> job of like when I was Thank reading it, so I, I got the sense that like this was taking place in it was like a pe Peppa Pig sort of <laughs> like I love environment sort of. So yeah, yeah, Thank that was, so that was my next question was like, was there was there something in pop culture or a book or a television show that like stylistically you latched on to or like i i want it to be kind of like that was it <laughs> what was that for you honestly I, I had very little to do with pop culture during my entire childhood believe me or not but i really loved peppa pig and believe me or not i started my interest in peppa pig grew when i was an adult <laughs> but before that uh, i really loved winnie the pooh and uh, the book as well the book is marvelous. It's it's amazing, and and but but also mm -hmm. uh, this Winnie the Pooh, whom we know from pop culture. Uh, so I think that uh, the Mummy Trolls, of course, we have a wonderful novel, but I think that the Mummy Trolls also entered this stage when we associate them with pop culture uh, to some extent. So these are my favorite influences, and this idea of. Uh, you know, this this family home is very important to me in my writing. When it comes to Peppa Pig, when it comes to uh, the Mummy Trolls, even Winnie the Pooh, you know, you have this sense of homeliness in these stories, and and you know, this sense of homeliness yeah. does not deprive the story uh, of, of of you know adventures, magic, or fast moving action, but this homeliness is very important to me. So I think that this would be uh, uh, the influence. <laughs> yeah, the other one that comes to mind, and this this might be only be an American show, but there was a, a children's show. Um, I don't know if they're still making it, but it's called Max and Ruby. Have you ever seen that? Unfortunately, I, I have not. But I will take a look. It, it's very similar. It's it's these kids. I mean, they're, they're animals, and they grow up in this very, like, quaint cottage, and they've got these very, like, homely clothes, and all of their story predicaments are very... There's no, like, there's no... There's no malevolence. There's no like evil entity. It's all just like, yes. oh, I, you know, lost my bike today. Like it's all situational, right? And yes. that's one thing that I caught from your story is there's no, there's no, there's no antagonist, right? Like it's, exactly. it's very much like 
the they're put they're put into a situation and then they're forced to learn from that and, and learn valuable yeah. lessons so was that challenging to write a story without an antagonist or that does that just come naturally absolutely not it was the easiest and the most natural because in our real life we don't have antagonists do we i mean maybe we have but not like super natural antagonists we have ourselves and you know i think that the inner struggle is what really makes real life that difficult so I realized at some point because somebody asked me, I, I, uh, it, who is the antagonist in your story? And I said, I don't have one, but Banky undergoes an inner struggle every single day. And I think that this is so natural for all of us. Uh, we, we don't have a, a, a single antagonist in our daily life, but we have our own thoughts, our own you know, habits attitudes which and this is enough <laughs> you don't need an antagonist yeah life is enough uh, difficult uh, enough and i thought that banky will be this hero uh, of everyday life the hero uh, whom i would like to see in literature so somebody who does not have an antagonist but somebody who has to grow inwardly because this is something that is very close to every reader i i feel yeah, so this was the idea so it was easy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, that makes total sense. It's easy. Like I'm, I write fantasy novels, um, oh. particularly like young adult <laughs> fantasy novels, and it's really easy to get into the. I, I've been calling them out a lot lately, but like the Marvel loop, yeah. where it's like you have to make everything escalate to like the fate of the world is on the line, and you have to <laughs> rein it back and be like, no, like there's other problems people can have, like. I ate too many cookies today, <laughs> right? Now my stomach hurts. Like the, these like everyday struggles that people deal with, like you can make stories have lower stakes, but have them still be important for, for your character. So I think that's a lost art really, even for children's yeah. novels. I think that what you just said also makes a lot of sense because sometimes antagonists evolve, you know, like they are personifications of these inner struggles or of something that we are afraid of, you know, so, so they personify, uh, they, are, they are like personifications of our fears and uh, bad attitudes. And, yeah. and Banky actually, he has to save the, the entire world because Christmas is at stake. So his inner struggle will influence the entire world. In the novel, uh, there is a moment when uh, the deer, uh, the, the reindeer arrives and tells Banky that he needs to save the world. The world needs him. And I wanted to, sh to, to present this idea that our attitude, our behavior towards uh, ourselves, towards others really make put the world at stake or may save the world and by the world i mean you know the entire planet but also our closest world you know the, the environment we live in the people we are surrounded uh, uh by yeah so so this can be the entire world too so we are like mirrors the bank is like a mirror yeah, that's you know? a great if, point if we smile then the world will smile back at us yeah. that's a great point i i've watched a lot of christmas films like especially this year i feel like for whatever reason we watched like probably mm. eight christmas films and wow. probably over half of christmas films are very they're very much the same thing right and and they lean on the crutch of like they lean on the crutch of everybody knows what christmas spirit is right mm. and so they'll just they'll just keep spewing out the lines of like we have to save christmas spirit without actually explaining what, mm, what christmas this? spirit is or like the importance of it or mm. like what's really the backbone of it, which is like what you said. It's like attitude. It's how you treat others yes. and things like that. So that's, 
I I was I was kind of knocking on like fate of the world, but then the way you put it about like <laughs> no saving Christmas is like a really big deal. That that makes total sense to me. So that's a good way Thank to put you it. Thank you so much. I think that Christmas spirit is a lot about in, in terms of Bunky and the Wands, and uh, the Christmas spirit has to do a lot with responsibility. You know, responsibility towards others because uh, these inner struggles that we undergo every day have a lot to do with how other people will respond, how it will affect them. So, you know, you can create this Christmas spirit while being responsible. And yes, this attitude matters a lot, the, the way you perceive the world. I really think that everything is like a mirror. So uh, the same with Christmas spirit. What's what's inside of, of us will absolutely come out and, you know, influence everything around us. So this is Christmas spirit for Gosh, me. That's really know, deep. So it can be during the Christmas time, but also later, every day. It's it's quite important. Man, I mean, the, these are kind of like hidden deeper themes on, on children's novels. Does it make you, I know that you are like, you're currently promoting this novel and I don't want to derail from that, but, but does it make you want to write something like between this and your background in Victorian literature? Is it, do you have an itch someday to be like, man, someday I'm going to write like a something that's much more akin to that background, like a more adult theme novel, or mm -hmm. are you just like, or are you just gung ho on, on, on the walls and you're like, I'm going to write as many of these novels as I can. Where, where, where do you think the future looks like for you? So I will definitely not leave Banky because he's very precious to me on a personal level. Like I, I, I feel very connected with Banky, uh, as, as a literary protagonist, because he has many characteristics that are actually quite personal and important to me. So definitely Banky yeah. will continue his adventure, but uh, currently at present, I'm editing my, uh, actually it's, a, it's, an, it's an academic book, but I'm, I'm trying to present it in that way that everybody will be able to reach for it. And it's a book about the uh, Victorian and Neo-Victorian uh, selected, female characters but in the meantime I also have a, a different project running uh, in the past I wrote some uh, adult fiction just like just like the one you've mentioned and and I'm trying to uh, think about it uh, for a longer time now and when it's ready it will be definitely <laughs> ready it's it's almost ready but I don't want to hurry this process as you said I want to think about it I want to reread everything and uh, yes, it's, it's, it's there, definitely it's coming. <laughs> of course, this adult novel um, has some, of course, it's, it's, it's filled with complicated themes of growing up, uh, of Bildungsroman, but at the same time, I always want to, I always want to fill my, my writing with the sparks of joy and hope, because I don't think it's, it's that uh, simple. It's, it's really difficult to discover hope and joy sometimes, and the paradox is that if we really manage to do that, it will return. But the whole problem lies in finding the silver lining in our life. So my my works are usually yeah. happy, but it's not that easy to implement these uh, perspectives in the real life. But it's so important. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. And I and I think I know the answer to this, but. Um one of the things that crossed my mind is living in a predominantly a country that is predominantly not, or at least natively not English speaking. I don't, I don't know what percentage of, of people of our generation speak English in Poland, but I would imagine that it's probably slightly harder to find people that are willing to be part of like writing groups and things like that, or 
uh, alpha readers, beta readers over there than maybe it would be in a large city in the United States, particularly somewhere like Los Angeles or New York. But given the internet today, like, did you find any challenge in being an author located in Poland? Or was it all pretty seamless given that you're working at a university in an English department and the fact that we have the internet? I, well, well, I, I didn't think about it actually. I, I just knew that I want to write in English, and because Back in the Worms was from the start this novel in my mind, which you know I, I often, even though I'm not a native speaker, and I know that I make mistakes, right? But but I often think in in English, or I may think in in Greek, or I may think in Polish, and I know that this story should be in this particular language because uh, I want to play with uh, the language, and I know that the the play. Uh, with the language that I would like to present will work only in a particular language. So in, in case of Banki and the Worms, I don't know even how to translate uh, some parts into Polish, even though I was looking into that and I would like to do that. Absolutely. But it's so difficult. It's impossible. It's impossible to create a perfect translation. It doesn't exist. But also I have a novel which I've been writing in 2015. It's still in my desk, uh, untouched. It's called The Adventures of Mr. N in my city, where I live here, and it's in Polish. I have no idea how to translate it into English so that it would make sense. And the same with Banki and the Oms. I have no idea how to translate it into Polish, but but I will try. I, I just mean that the language plays major role in, 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 the, in the whole process of understanding what the novel is about, what the idea is, is uh, about. But uh, when it comes to the practical part uh, of, of living in Poland and writing in English, what I found difficult is to introduce uh, uh, the novel onto the Polish market. <laughs> but it doesn't really matter because uh, as long mm -hmm. as the novel made someone smile, I, I am the happiest person ever. And uh, I, yeah. I had a very nice reception of the novel. We even had a reading event uh, in my city in one of the beautiful bookstores so people are interested in in reading in english they really are and they love uh, the language <laughs> i can't imagine you guys have no shortage of beautiful bookstores because i was i was googling <laughs> is it how do you say your city ludlin ludlin lublin is that correct lublin yes lublin <laughs> Lub lublin okay <laughs> I don't know where I got that from, uh, Lublin, uh, and I'm probably still mispronouncing it, but I'm going to work through that. Uh, it's, it's, it's uh, perfect. Man, I, I Google imaged it, and it's so pretty. Like we, So I, I'm a huge traveler. Um, we, we love to just like daydream about where we're going to go next. Um, the United States very famously is ugly. Like there, oh, We different. have really pretty cities, like our older cities, but... Well, it's got, so we have a lot of natural beauty. We have a lot of really cool yes. national parks. We've got a lot of yes. really, we've got some cities that are gorgeous, but like yeah. I live in a suburb of a city that is not very pretty. Um, <laughs> I, oh. And I know my local viewers are going to be like, man, why are you dogging us? But <laughs> it's true. Like we've got a lot of like parking lots, a lot of like driving on. It's very spread out. So it very much, it's got beauty of, it's got pockets of beauty, but like, Lublin or however you said it is just like man it looks like a fairy tale town does that ever does that ever like first of all how how long have you been there and has that ever worn off on you or do you kind of take it for granted at this point you're like yeah this is just where I live <laughs> thank you so much uh, you know I have very very close relationship with Lublin actually I've been I've been uh, attending my high school here 
and I, I that, at that stage, I, I wasn't very, you know, like, observant. Uh, but then when I went to the university, it really struck me, like, I live in such a beautiful city. <laughs> and, and, you know, I started thinking about it suddenly, you know, because I, I was away from Lublin for, for quite a long time. I, I was uh, abroad and then I, I came back and what really uh, struck me was this peacefulness of the place, this tranquility, but the tranquility which did not make you feel lonesome. It was very warm and inviting, and it was something yeah. I wanted to present in Bunky and the Worms and in this uh, story from 2015 about Mr. N, <laughs> uh, the novel in, in Polish. Uh, yeah, so, so this feeling of peace, I think this is something we really need these days. And uh, whenever I, I go somewhere and I walk through any street in Lublin, I feel very peaceful, but absolutely not lonely. <laughs> so. This is what I what I really yeah. like about the city and the atmosphere and and the bookstores as well. Yeah, it is. It's just people listening. You should Google image because it's just like it, <laughs> it. It really the architecture really does remind yes, me. Of you a, are invited <laughs> to visit it, the city. It reminds me of like a fairy tale, <laughs> like cobblestone streets. Like the cafes look so cool. Um, and it's funny because I I don't mm -hmm. know. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm not an expert on um, Poland per se, but I I know like. Warsaw, Krakow, or however you guys pronounce those cities, but like I had not heard of your city before I, I started talking to you about it, and it is just it's gorgeous, and it's like it's like three hundred thousand people, so it's probably like the perfect size city because um, you probably have mm -hmm. everything you need, and the then, and then some. Like you feel like you're in kind of a major city, but you don't have the not problems just... of a major city. But you can yeah. also like you're what an hour away from Warsaw, yeah. so that's not too bad. <laughs> Yes, I'm, I'm around two hours, two hours okay. uh, and a half or two hours, 15 minutes away from Warsaw. But it's a very smooth uh, kind of travel. So, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's just uh, far enough and close enough. <laughs> I also discovered this beauty of Lublin later. I mean, I was just like, oh, Lublin is here and I'm here. But then I started thinking about it and I was like, wow, <laughs> it, it really is a, 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 a magical city. I think that people are, are engineered to take for granted where they live because like I've met people who live in New York city mm -hmm. and, or grew up in New York city and they'll be like, no, I, I never went to the statue of Liberty. I never went to like, I never go to central park. I've only been to times square once. And it's like I, the times square one, I understand. Cause it's, it's kind of hectic, but it's crazy. Like people don't, people are just inclined to not, they take for granted where they live. Like I, I live in uh, Dallas, Texas when Dallas, Dallas mm -hmm. is not known for mm -hmm. as many big things as oh. New York, but the the, the few things that That's are beautiful. kind of yeah, the, the few the few things we kind of mm -hmm. have, um, like the Reunion Tower or whatever, is just like people that live here don't go there, but people who visit go to all those things. So I think it's just a really interesting thing. Your visitors are probably oh. gonna really love it, but. Um, we, we, we just are always looking for grass, greener grass on the other side, but I guess. It's true. Yeah, we always think that something better is, is somewhere away. Yeah, somewhere somewhere far from us. But actually, this is also what I wanted to show in the store in Banky and the Worms, that uh, we have so much to be grateful for, but it's uh, unrecognized yeah. sometimes because it's always there and we don't pay attention to this. I know there's this thing called Francophiles, because there's people that are... Um, people that are just mm -hmm. like obsessed with the idea of, of French culture and living in France, you know, like I want to go live in Paris, but, um, you know, mm -hmm. I, I don't know if there's something that exists that's called mm -hmm. an English file or like a London file, like somebody who's obsessed with English culture. Um, but 
would you consider yourself an English file? Like, are you kind of, is that just like something that really piques your interest, like English culture, <laughs> English history? And the follow-up question to that is, is London kind of a place that you daydream about? I know you've visited there, but is that like, if you had a chance to maybe like do some, do your career, but maybe do it in London, is that something you'd be interested mm -hmm. in? I don't mean to put you on the spot if you've got your like coworkers mm -hmm. listening, but I'm just kind of curious to hear how much, you know, where, where your love falls, uh, for, for that culture? I don't know if it would be possible because I'm very interested in the Victorian London and <laughs> in the Victorian era. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just fascinated uh, by it. And of course, we know that it had uh, this time, like every time, like every time in the history has its drawbacks and has its benefits, its beauties. But I am just so fascinated by this time. Yeah. And, even though I, I don't know how it would be to live in, in, in the Victorian era, but... Yeah, I imagine living in actual Victorian London for 99% of its residents would suck. Mm. Like, I, I think my interest in history is... Um, I've got a few, <laughs> yeah. but, but I, I, I'm really interested with, like, medieval Europe, but I'm also really interested in, um, like, ancient, ancient China and, like, Japan which I, if you study their history, it's like one of the worst places in the world to live. So yeah, it's, it's like, I, I, I want to admire it from afar, but I don't, I, I mm. would not want to live there. Right. So I, I get your interest, but I understand yeah. the same living in the Victorian London would be very difficult. Right? We have like a lot of problems that were uh, happening there at, at this time. At the same time, it's so fascinating to, to learn about it. Yeah. So, so I understand your, your passion. It's, it's yeah, definitely what what era what gears was victoria london like what what is the era like what like what what are those marked by is that like 1700s 1800s uh this is the 19th century so uh i think that uh, especially this this end of the victorian era is the, the most fascinating time to me because in the end of the victorian era we are facing this transitional period uh, and it it's it's in terms of uh, uh, technology but also in terms of uh, uh, people's uh, uh, mindsets uh, they are i feel at some sometimes i feel that they were feeling back then in the end of the victorian era uh, in a similar way like we might be feeling now because we are surrounded by this technology and so many things are changing and I feel, I don't know if I'm correct, but I feel that they were experiencing something similar to some extent because I, I would call this uh, end of the Victorian era uh, period uh, a change Yeah. in terms of technology, in terms of uh, uh, lifestyle, yeah, lifestyle and, and mindset and uh, mentality of uh, uh, in terms of uh, culture or society. So it was exciting, but very confusing, I imagine. And I think that we live in, in very similar times when uh, it is exciting, but also it can be very overwhelming. And uh, yeah, I think that we can learn a lot uh, from this period and look at our history and find similarities. And actually there's nothing new under the sun. Yeah, I just Googled it. It yeah. is, it's like the 1830s through the early 1900s, which I 100% agree with you. I didn't realize mm -hmm. I didn't realize it was that late. I thought it was actually more like the 1700s, but I 100% agree that like that is such a fascinating era. Like people dealing with yes. um, locomotives and uh, airplanes, and I don't know if airplanes were probably a little bit after that, but like industrial times, yeah, like these crazy ships that were coming out. Yes. Um, I'm a huge I'm a huge fan of this kind of era history all Moving the way through like towns. the 40s. Yeah, it's just, it's crazy. Like that, you're right. They were dealing with, like, let's say you're born in the 1600s or the 1400s. Like you generally were yeah. born. And then when you died, like 80 years later, if you lived that long, like 
with generally the same technology and you didn't, you, nothing really like shocked you from like the, wow, the world is really changing fast. But like since probably what, eight, 1830, Mm -hmm. it was, it's been like lightning speed. Um, and it is, it's hard to wrap your mind around. It's hard. Yes. Especially 1890s. Yeah. Especially like you see it in elderly people. Like once your mind starts to not be as, uh, malleable like once your once your mind starts your processing starts to slow down and you're you can't keep up with the pace of change and it just becomes overwhelming and i think i 100 percent agree it's super fascinating Mm -hmm. i if i was as if i if i had the teaching that you had (laughs) if i if i had studied victorian english i would would (laughs) maybe write something in that era as well i kind of write like you know you know what steampunk is so just like where it like takes that technology, but it kind of makes it yeah. more modern. That's I love that because it's yes. I can I can benefit yes. from the like the culture yeah. of the era and the technology, but also not have to write some of the same dialogue and things like that because that's where it gets really difficult for for someone like oh me. yes, but but your writing would be more like you know in the spirit of dialogism because you would just just build upon the past. Yeah, the steampunk. What I really like about steampunk is, for example, uh, you know the descriptions of uh, the, the dresses uh, worn by the female characters and how they are presented in steampunk novels. Yeah. This is... <laughs> they're, they're a mix of modern as well as like the, the, the really conservative dress back then, which was yes. like, you talked about, would it be fun to live in Victorian English? The answer is A, probably not unless mm-hmm. you were super wealthy and B, if you're a woman, like unless you were really, really wealthy, probably not because <laughs> of like all the crazy laws they had on marriage and just Mm -hmm. women's rights and all that but um it's still fun like Mm -hmm. you said to like look at the really romanticized parts of it and and enjoy it um it's really (laughs) it's 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 a fascinating era it is it is and also this change that started happening uh at the very end of the era also in terms of you know perception of women and uh, they, their rights and I think that this is absolutely fascinating yeah. and then you have steampunk and even the fact that in, in steampunk narratives uh, female clothes have some uh, you know they are elegant they are very beautiful but also they are useful yeah so so this new quality is is, is there you know usefulness practicality beauty combined so I think these are new narratives about women that were already budding yeah. somewhere in the end uh, of this 19th century that kind of reminds me of uh mm-hmm. in i think it's world war one they had these women that would go around with the white roses have you heard about you know where they would basically they would hand in yes. public a white yes, rose yeah. to a male that wasn't serving in the army and i think that that sort of culture was a branch of the culture that you just talked about in the victorian era where women's place in society started being a little bit more revered yeah, outside of the domestic. Right, and like, I guess it's not quite Victorian era, it's a little bit after Victorian era, but have you ever watched Downton Abbey? Of course, yes. It's so yes. good. And my students are also great fans. <laughs> it's so good, I yes. love that show. and isn't it, like, all the details, which, again, the elegance, the history can be presented in such an appealing way, even if it's, you know, even fictional history, yeah? it's, 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 it takes a lot of dedication, and uh, I, I'm just, I'm just a huge fan too. So, so heavy, really big spoilers. I'm about Thank to talk you. about with Downton Abbey. So, if you haven't watched Downton Abbey and you're still interested, you should probably mute it for the next 20 seconds. But when, when they killed Matthew, <laughs> I was just, that was the worst. That's, that's still like me and my wife were talking about that last night. We're like, I, I still can't believe that happened. Like, what a horrible. <laughs> I was like so hopeful for them. Oh, yes. Did you ever hear 
why they did that. Have you have you read about like why the writers decided to do that? No, no, I I, I don't know. <laughs> they uh, so the the actor who played Matthew was like, I want to move on and try other things. Like, I don't want to be on Downton Abbey anymore. I want to get into film. Uh, and so uh-huh. he came to them, like, I, uh, I want to so say, like, halfway through the season and told them that. And they were like, well, we have to figure out something to do with him. And so they just gave you that crazy death scene. Mm. So just the worst. And and now he hasn't really done much after that. So Oh, yeah. It's just, I, I was thinking maybe it's connected with something deeper, but it's connected with our reality. So again, we have a proof that, uh, uh, you know, this artistic world is is interconnected with ours unfortunately yeah in this case i thought that they did that with the um who was the really mean lady who who was like right under mr carson who was friends with the gay guy what was her name they they started a season and it showed like somebody's hand delivering a note to everybody and and then it like everybody opened it and it was mm-hmm. like oh she left this main character is like oh she left somewhere in the middle of the night and when that happened, I was like, oh, that actor probably mm. left the show or passed away or something. But it turned out that wasn't the case. That was just how they decided to uh-huh. show that she wasn't going to be on for the season, which I thought was really weird. That they didn't even, like, show the actress's face or anything. So, uh-huh. anyways, huge aside, but I, I love that show, and I, I never really meet anybody that talks about it, so. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and, and this is how we, we can perceive the past from this uh you know, intertextual standpoint, you know, through different media nowadays, not only literature, but also it's represented through different kinds of media. Yeah? And uh, uh, from our perspective, it, it becomes, a, it's the same, it's, it becomes a completely different story, but it can encourage uh, uh, viewers to, to reach for the past yeah? in a literary form as well. So yeah, it's, 100%. it's very valuable. This has been a super enjoyable conversation for me. I'm I'm super fascinated by, again, not only your your work but your background. Thank I you. think it's it's just super cool. It's it's cool to see somebody that is not only like thank you so much deep into the the process of writing from like an academic standpoint and talk to them about that, but also and, and somebody that loves their work, like somebody that's really into their story. I also wanted to to say that. I'm so grateful for this conversation. It's, it's been so enjoyable uh, for me too. I really enjoyed it, and and it's wonderful just just to just to discuss uh, literature and the life and uh, the bigger context and the readers and our world because this this all makes sense only together. And I'm so grateful for that. Thank you so much for for inviting me for inviting Bunky the Bunky Princess. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining, and Bunky and Bunky Princess, thank you so much for joining as well. Well, Alexandra, can you tell us where we can find um, Bunky and the Walms? Thank you so much. So, uh, Bunky and the Walms uh, can be purchased from a Webfanstock uh, website. Uh, this is my publisher. It's a wonderful uh, publisher. Uh, Webfanstock.com, uh, and also uh, the book is on Amazon. And in, uh, in in all the major bookstores online. So if you Google uh, Banky and the Walls, uh, you will definitely find it. I also invite you to visit my website, alexandradrinetska.com. There is also a link there that uh, leads directly to the book. Well, once again, Alexandra, thank you so much for your time on this Saturday evening that you would spend it with us instead of spending time with Bunky. I know that you're you're really excited to get back to all the different no, projects you have. 
Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure, and I just enjoy spending time with uh, Novel Discourse uh, podcast and Banky Das too, and the Banky Princess as well. So we are all very grateful, and it's been the best way to spend our evening. That's it from us here at Novel Discourse. Once again, if you like what you heard, I invite you guys to like and subscribe and give us a rating. We really appreciate that, and also tell two friends. We really want to get the word out. Once again, this is Novel Discourse, and I'm Sam. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Wow, 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 wow.